Test one, two, test one, two. Check, 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 check. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the vocal minority with Nick and Steve. Nick Reynolds, Steve Harness, and cousin Brewski. The vocal minority with Nick and Steve. Take one. Welcome to the Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve, all of Brewski, and back for another exciting, informative episode, ladies and gentlemen. See our webpage online, thevocalminority.net. That's where all our socials are, right, Steve? Recomundo, thevocalminority.net. Find all the socials, share it, spread it worldwide. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in as always. We've got a busy show today, Stephen, and uh, therefore we must get right into it as we've got a guest waiting on the line, a Republican guest, uh, conservative, if you will. And you might be thinking to yourself, uh, this is a lefty liberal type program. You guys wouldn't do that. And of course we would. We feel like the only way to progress is to be able to sit down and have these conversations. So liberals or Republicans coming together for a conversation is something we don't shy away from. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you a man who will join the program and discuss various topics with us, such as border control, gun control, amongst other things. He is a man that was appointed by Texas Governor Rick Perry to the Texas Judicial Council. He is a public speaker for over 40 years now. He's a media personality and advisor and a multi-award winning author with several books to his credit. The latest being Made in America by Americans, not Americans. His name is Richard V. Battle. Hopefully I got all that right. That is correct. Thank you so much for having me with you and having the opportunity to discuss some of these pertinent issues of the day. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Normally, I do a little more research on our guests, but this was sort of a a last-minute opportunity to get you on today. So we do appreciate you making time. It's my understanding that you have a, um, I don't know, a a theory on mass shootings in America as related to the border crisis? Is that a succinct way of describing this? Well, I don't know if I'd describe it as a theory, but I think there are some connections in some areas uh, with some of that. The, the border issue we have in Texas, and I'm, I'm not sure where y'all are located, but we're, we've been overrun for the past two years. Tens of thousands of people crossed yesterday. We're anticipating huge numbers later in the week. And yeah, we've everyone's got talking about the fact that these COVID restrictions are ending and that that's going to apparently lead to a surge of the border. Uh, yes, and we've got a government that not only is disingenuous about saying the border's closed, they're doing nothing but paying for illegal immigration and sending people to process illegal aliens. And so we've had crime surges along the border. And then as these people have moved up into the country, you have increased crime. Sometimes it's because they need food to eat and they go into places and try to get what they need because they can't afford it. Uh, I don't want people to think all of these people are criminal because they're not, but the criminal element is there. And we had an issue outside of Houston the other day where a guy who'd been deported four times previously killed five people, including a nine-year-old kid. And so it just demonstrated the lack of sincerity in trying to have a legal immigration system, which is Congress's responsibility. And we already have laws, but no one is enforcing existing law 
with regarding to immigration right now. Being in Texas, did you see a significant increase from Trump to Biden uh, as far as illegal immigrants making their way in? Well, yes. If you, you look at the numbers, it was huge because uh, President Trump had to remain in Mexico policy. We were deporting people from a federal standpoint. And so the numbers were much lower. And as soon as President Biden came in, he eliminated the remain in Mexico policy. The relationship with the Mexican government's totally changed because President Trump had the Mexican government helping us to stop people from south of Mexico from coming through Mexico into the United States. And I believe now the Mexican government is much more complicit in this between the pressure of the cartels as well as I don't think they believe the Biden government is giving them the right payback, if you will, for trying to keep people from crossing our border. So you're saying a certain percentage of criminals are obviously mixed into this group, as they are in probably any group of you know mass people, I suppose. But so what's the lead to the public shootings? Is there a bigger connection here I'm missing? Because obviously it seems like most of the uh, shootings that happen in our country are homegrown. No, I don't think I don't think and if that was conveyed that way, I don't think there's a disproportionate number from illegal aliens. But I think we're seeing crime from illegal aliens uh, because of them overwhelming uh, different cities. And then, of course, you have the pressure on the police and things of that nature in various communities as well. Uh, But I think it's improportionate. All right. I I guess I got lost here on how this uh, relates to public shootings. You were just making an example that some criminals came through as part of this, and that is an example of a a crime they committed. Yes, that was an example in probably the communication you may have seen. I I think there's much greater crime going on beside that, the importation of drugs, the importation of diseases, uh, all kinds of other things that are going on with these people outside uh, the sex trafficking, the abuse of children that's going on. There's all kinds of other things going on with these people that are being brought in outside of the shootings. How is it that if this gentleman was deported four times, how was it that he was able to purchase an AR-15 and shoot his neighbors? Great example. How do all criminals purchase guns? They do it illegally. So you're saying this guy didn't go to like Walmart or a gun shop and buy his AR-15? Like he bought it illegally is what you're saying? That's what I would suspect on him. I've not seen don't the know specifics that for sure. on him. Yeah, I, was gonna say, don't know I don't know that, that for sure, but okay. I would suspect that. You have a straw purchaser. That's probably one of the most common ones. You probably get so. Yeah. A citizen that's not convicted to buy one, and then you buy it mm-hmm. from them, and you pay them a premium. It's like scalping football tickets. Have sure. you been in uh, uh, Texas for a long time? Yes, I've nearly spent my entire life. I was married to a lady from Laredo for twenty years. Used to go, go personally as well as on business back and forth across the borders from Brownsville to El Paso many, many times just to shop, eat lunch, eat dinner. Uh, So I don't see this as a racial issue because I've talked with DPS on the border. They've intercepted people from 150 countries. So we're seeing people from all over the world crossing illegally right now. Sure. You talked about drugs coming in. I mean, you know, illegal immigrants are not – bringing in massive quantities. Are, are you saying like cartel members are sneaking in with the uh, the huddled masses? Well, that's a great question. So there's kind of a, a bait and switch or the old fake, to use a football term. So they'll take a family unit 
and they'll rush across the border with a big family group. Border Patrol people are stuck processing them. And while that's going on, there's not enough defense on the border. Then you have the runners cross up or downstream and they're carrying whatever they're carrying. I watch a show on Nat Geo that does kind of a behind-the-scenes look at them protecting the border, and what you're talking about does happen a lot, but I'm curious to know if you think it's happening a lot more now than it was, say, three or four years ago. Well, I think the fentanyl crisis is much greater than it was before. Whether the cocaine or things like that are, I don't have numbers on, but we see the results of the fentanyl crisis where we have 100,000 people a year dying from fentanyl right now. Definitely an increase, but it seems to me in the last two years, they do have the numbers on how much of fentanyl has been captured at the border. And that number has gone way up. Do you think that's only in part to the fact that so much is being sent across that we're just catching more? Or do you think we're doing better? I think we're catching more. I hope we're doing better, but I don't know. Here's a classic question I have. When it comes to smuggling drugs into the country, who's more to blame, the supply or the demand? <laughs> in other words, they wouldn't be smuggling drugs in here if Americans weren't looking to buy them. So if we well, stop buying, they wouldn't be importing. Or if certain drugs weren't illegal, then there would be no black market. Like, Yeah, I agree with you. Starts, I give the, you know? the Deion Sanders answer, both. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's both of them. And you're right. If there was no demand, the supply wouldn't be coming here. If the demand was in Europe, the supply would be going there. Right. And how come more Canadians aren't smuggling drugs in? Or are we just not catching them up there? We have more than one border, right? Isn't there? Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> Canadian and, uh, cartels are very polite. I think that's why we don't notice them as much. <laughs> yeah. it's a polite cartel. Well, you know, they used to, back in the days of Prohibition, they smuggled a lot of uh, bootleg whiskey across the Canadian border to Chicago. That was a real big trade back in those days. Well, right. thank the Lord for those Canadians. We needed it. <laughs> well, so here's the uh, the other kind of classic question, right? I mean, we're, we're America. We're supposed to be a country of immigrants and equal opportunities, and we have a whole bunch of jobs in this country that a lot of people don't want to work you know uh, i'm in california you know there's a whole bunch of agricultural jobs in the state of california that it seems that basically nobody but mexican central americans really want to do so how do we still be the ideal america that wants to bring in people and give them an opportunity versus uh, what you're talking about concerns at the border that's a great question so first thing is we have an immigration policy right now that i think the numbers are about a million people a year that come in legally Congress is in charge of that. They've not revised that policy in many, many years, but they can do so anytime they want to and send it to the president. Well, you're saying uh, things can get done in Congress, which doesn't. Yeah, well, I, I understand, <laughs> but but Congress does have a responsibility on that. Both parties, I'm not picking on either party. Sure. Uh, one of the interesting things, I go out of my way to ask naturalized citizens from all over the world, all races, all sexes, I go out of my way to ask them what they think about this situation. And every one of them says the people should come legally like I did. Of course. And I completely understand that it takes a lot to become an American citizen. And that's the way it should be done. But what do we do for the rest of these people that are seeking safety, that are picking up everything and risking life and limb of not only them, but their family to come here? As an only option, you know, looking for refuge, uh, how do we take care of them? Does America just not have a heart anymore? Do we not have compassion, empathy? That is part of what makes us America, in my opinion. So uh, do we just not get to have that anymore? 
there are certain sections of the border, according to what the Texas DPS told me when I was on the ground down there, that the cartels are not controlling. And so you're seeing some people come across there, but the places the cartels control, you don't cross unless you've paid the fare. Mm. A lot of these people, you'll look at them and you'll say, they don't have two nickels to rub together. How did they pay? And so in my opinion, it's one of two ways. Either they have an IOU to the cartel, which means they're going to be a slave on the U.S. side to do what they're told. And I've seen people deported and they were crying their eyes out. And Somebody asked them why. And they said, because I borrowed the money from the cartel to come across. And then the other question is, if, if that's not the case, that means the NGOs are helping these people come up. And I believe every caravan that's come up has had American citizens for these non-government organizations, helping them financially, helping them come up to the border because they want increased immigration of any kind. And the question then becomes, who is funding them? And I have some real questions about that because I believe our government is funding things that most people would be outraged about if they had any clue. Hmm. And it's just your opinion that you're doing this in secret. Our government is hiding this from us. Go, yeah, go on the net, go to Vera, V-E-R-A dot org. And that's an organization that's primary mission is to eliminate cash bail, to help get people out of jail who they say were wrongly put in. And they, in the last year or so, have been given over $200 million worth of contracts by the U.S. government to help illegal aliens defend themselves against deportation. And so by funding that organization, on the illegal side, we're helping them on the incarceration question that's their bread and butter. So our government is funding activities which discourage deporting illegal aliens. If that's happening, uh, it's a bit counterintuitive, yeah? Well, yeah. And you can look, go do a search on the Internet. You can find it. Well, if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true, right? I mean, come on. Bruce, you make a note on that. We'll definitely check it out. Um, Richard, how much time have you actually spent down on the border? Uh, I was down with a public affairs officer from DPS for a day several months ago. And that's where seeing actually where the federal government was processing. And what amazed me, uh, we were sitting at a location and all of a sudden these buses came up from the federal government. And the Texas DPS officer told me, he goes, well, they must be getting ready to send a group across because these buses all showed up, which means somebody communicated to them, telling them they're coming. Hmm. And the people, when they came, they were being processed like they were buying tickets to Disneyland. And so that's when they started becoming to where they wanted to get people out of view as early as possible. And it wasn't just the Texas governor busing people away from Texas to other cities, The U.S. government, I was on a flight from Houston to McAllen, Texas. The plane was half full of illegals. They had their paperwork. They all had brand new duffel bags of clothes, all had the same tennis shoes, had the same jeans, had the same shirts. Uh, They had been provided for by someone before they were given tickets and put on planes going to Houston and then God knows where from there. Are the majority of uh, border agents uh, disgruntled and just following orders, or did you not pick up on that at all? Well, that's that I think is a great question because it's not the same depending on which agency. And so I was visiting with the state of Texas 
public affairs officer. And he told me that the Texas Department of Public Safety officers, their morale was very high because they were being given the resources that they needed to help defend the border. He said the people on the Customs and Border Patrol side on the federal government, their morale was very, very low because they were not being given the tools and they were actually being prevented from doing their jobs. And about a year or so ago, you may have seen the news that Governor Abbott in Texas told all the Border Patrol people in a public communication that if you want a job, the state of Texas will hire you. Yes. And so he opened the doors up for the state of Texas hiring any of those people that wanted to come. Speaking of Abbott, what do you think about this whole, you know, busing uh, these uh, immigrants uh, across the country? I mean, it seems like if you're in a border state, that's a problem unique to you that you have to, you know, deal with this issue. And I live in the mountains in California. I'm not shipping my snow to Texas because we're sick of it. Like, it's a problem we deal with because it's something that's unique to our state. I mean, what's your take on it? It just seems sort well, of cruel to me to be. Well, it's part, it's part public relations, but it's also part security. Is he telling them where they're going or is this uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard esque <laughs> drama? Well, that's a good question because they make them sign a release form. Yeah, they make them sign it. And you, you mentioned believe, that this is part PR. Is well, it that unsettling to you that we're using humans as a, a publicity stunt, basically? Well, is there any difference, Greg Abbott busing illegals to New York than Joe Biden flying illegals to New York? Yes, I would say because that it, because Biden's got a plan on A and B on both points. Like he's sending them to New York and then he knows where they're going. Abbott's just dropping uh, them. Well, Martha's I Vineyard. would question I would question whether he knows or cares where they're going. Well, you can question it. But Abbott's uh, basically said that he has no plan once they leave Texas. He buses them to these liberal cities and then it's just sort of a political FU to these cities. Whereas if the federal government's doing it, they have a plan as to where they're going once they arrive. You can believe that if you want to question that. And I think that. Some of the immigrants, illegals they've questioned, have wanted to get up to that part of the country because that was part of their route to get where they wanted to go. You're saying it's wrong for Biden to do it. Wouldn't it be wrong for Abbott to do it, too? Well, if it's right, it's right on both. It's wrong. It's wrong on both. I agree with that consistency. Richard, doesn't this go back to the reverse freedom rides in 62 when uh, I believe it was the governor of Alabama who was sending blacks up to the Kennedy saying that if you want them so bad, you can have them. Isn't this the same thing? It it sounds pretty familiar. Pretty familiar? uh, it yeah. should. <laughs> yeah. But that, this is exactly what it is. It's the same thing. Well, the question is who should be responsible for housing, feeding, educating, taking care of millions that have crossed in the last two years? Should it be only the state of Texas or should the U.S. government be paying or California or Washington or Massachusetts being contributing to this? Just so you know, it's blue states like the one I live in, the one Steve lives in, and the one that Nick lives in that supplements red states like yours. How do they do you guys, that? You guys, you guys take way more in federal dollars than you give. True. Yeah. Absolutely. So you guys are suckling at the teat of, of the blue states, and you and you want to go and complain about you know you're unfairly taking on this cost and that cost and that sort of thing. Well, you know what? I'm I'm sick. You guys suckling at my teat. 
down there in Texas. Tremendous play by Brewski. The bad visual. <laughs> <laughs> what, would, what would you like us to do about it? Oh, I don't know. Raise some taxes down there, perhaps. Uh, maybe charge people some real taxes and really bring some income in so that you don't have to rely more on federal dollars. It's red states that take the most welfare dollars in this country. It's not blue states. It's red states. And the reason why is because of things like right to work states, where the only right that you have to work is the right to make less than everybody else in the country. It's a fair well, point. Uh, and Brewski's our fiery Bostonian, by the way. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I just you know. noticed that he was quiet for a little while, but now he's fired up. <laughs> he no, 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 no. Well, I just, I'm, I'm a labor guy, and that's where my background is, is, is that I'm on the side of workers and people getting paid fair wages. And, and I just think a lot of times that if you were paying people real wages, then you wouldn't uh, have these problems. I mean, you look at some of the uh, auto plants that like uh, BMW done in South Carolina and then Nissan in Tennessee. The reason why they go to those states is because they don't want to pay union wages. But if you look at what the wages are for BMW workers in Germany, the wages there are far and away better than South Carolina. What would happen if it was allowed for the illegal aliens to come in and work at the auto plants for substantially lower wages because the ones that are working are taking jobs from American citizens. So in other words, so American citizens are going out in the fields and picking produce and that sort of thing. They're cleaning toilets at hotels. Are those the jobs that we're talking about, Richard? Well, that's that's some of them, yes. Oh, really? So, So there are Americans that are willing to go out in the fields 10, 12 hours a day. And and my family did that. I I had grandparents that had a a farm and and I spent time in fields myself. Yeah, I get it, Richard. But okay, I'm 52. I'm guessing you're probably around my age. We're different generations. I'm talking about generations now. I can tell you that in California, the average white guy does not want to go out there in the field. I mean, we nobody wants to. If you have other options, you'll take better options. I shoveled in a sewer plant as a job for a summer as a kid. I didn't want to do that job, but it was the best job I could find. So that's part of growing up in America is you don't start at the top. You start wherever you can start and go up from there. The illegals that are coming in and working are taking jobs from Americans and are doing it for lower wages than you would have to pay Americans. I disagree. I think that they are doing jobs that the majority of Americans won't do, and they especially won't do them for a lower wage. How is somebody who's uh, immigrated into this country illegally, they don't speak the language, they have no formal education, how are they taking my job? What must be my level of education or my level of employment if somebody so underqualified is able to replace me? Well, they're not going to replace you. They're coming in at mostly entry-level type positions, except for some of these people coming from countries like China that are technical people and things of that nature. All is fair in love and war then? If you're an entry-level American that has very few skills, then you're competing against any other entry-level person, regardless of where they're from or whatever their immigration is. Well, the question is, should an entry-level American, whether it be an 18-year-old person that just got out of high school, have to compete with an illegal alien for that job or not? I mean, obviously, the border is very complex. Yes, uh, and you may be right. We may need an arsenal of different things uh, to act in a way that will serve us all. Because, right, we got to come together on this. I think about this a lot with the border and people becoming legal citizens. 
if we had the same process for people attaining firearms, stuff like that, uh, maybe this would just be a safer place altogether. We'll do it at the border. We'll do it with firearms. Everybody should be vetted and checked in an effort to make everything a little bit safer for everybody, not just Texas, right? Well, yeah, and the question then becomes, how many do you let in and do you control that number? It's going to take a bipartisan support uh, to get that done. So Texas is uh, essentially run by Republicans. So what have Ted Cruz and company, what have they, what legislation have they proposed that would uh, be a solution to all this? Well, that's a great question. So the House side uh, passed a bill last week uh, to try to help. The Senate side has done nothing. And Ted Cruz and John Cornyn from Texas are on the minority side there. So they have no control over the legislation put forth in the chamber. Well, you mentioned the Senate. So then one on the the House side, you know, Republicans control them, slim majority yes. on that side. So what have they done? Well, they passed a bill last week, and I'm trying to remember the title of it. It was an immigration bill that modified immigration law that I believe will die in the Senate. And what was it proposing? How was it going to solve this? I was out of the country a week or so ago, and I missed the details, so I don't have that. I'm sorry. To <laughs> I hope you traveled it. legally. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Richard Battle, author of uh, Made in America by Americans, not Americans. Uh, is that uh, loosely plagiarizing a Johnny Depp joke from a movie, by the way? Uh, no, it's, it's you know what I'm not. Referencing? But uh, it, it's basically the last couple of years, I was tired of the discouragement and the attacks on the country and people telling us as Americans what we couldn't do and politicians on both sides of the aisle. Uh, I can remember John F. Kennedy saying, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Uh, Ronald Reagan was a great inspirational voice. And we used to have leaders who would inspire us to be what we wanted to be and tell us to go pursue our dreams. And now we have leaders on both sides of the aisle who don't tell us what we can do. They tell us what we can't do. And all they want to do is say, here's what we're going to do for you because you can't do it for yourself. Uh, And so I want to try to give people that encouragement that despite all those things, each of us can do more than we think we can. And we can accomplish more despite that negative inspiration we're getting out of government. Yeah, but that assumes that the government can function, and it just—I've seen it for administration after administration. It's just—it's just not. We're so divided in this country that. Well, yes, we are. It's been a long time, and I would love to see anyone from any party try to inspire people. It's not the point of governing is to compromise. None of us get our way. Aren't we supposed to be meeting in the middle somewhere? Well, yes. And if and see, I believe that Congress has delegated a lot of the authority to the bureaucracy over the years. Both parties have done that. And Congress does not function like it's supposed to. They, they've not done regular budgets. They've not done regular order on bills. They cram everything into these 5,000 page bills that no one knows what's in it and vote on it in 10 minutes versus having hearings with committees and voting it out of committee. And so our government in Washington and it's both parties fault is not functioning as it's supposed to. And I believe it's not functioning as well as it could be. Yeah. Uh, the four of us would do a better job getting together because we don't have the same 
agenda behind the scenes that the elected right. officials yeah. have. Yeah. I, I like I to hear you say that, that there's some blame to go around on both sides and the consequences is needed. So let's pick a topic that we referenced early on here about public shootings because it's, I mean, it's beyond an epidemic. I've been saying on the show that I've, I've simply stopped paying attention because they happen so frequently. Nobody's willing to do anything at all about it. So on that topic, what do you think would be a compromise? Uh, I know that gun right advocates are very staunch. They really don't seem to want to compromise on anything. So what, what, if we give up a piece, what, what do you think the right would give up? The first question I always ask is, is the law being proposed, will it help reduce the number of shootings? We've got tens of thousands of gun laws, and most of the laws do very little to deter shootings. So there's and nothing if, that could be done? Because that's what well, I No, hearing. I wouldn't say nothing. The biggest problem I've got is, why, like this guy in Allen, Texas, if he had mental issues that got him out of the army, and we don't know how he got his weapon he had, uh, but he had issues that got him out of the army and there were other indications of mental issues, was that not in the database and allowed him to buy a weapon legally or did he buy a weapon illegally? So are you in favor then of like red flag laws where you could report somebody that's got a mental issue, put him into a database and then have to do proper background checks so that would show up? Well, I think it's just the right information. If, if, if I knew, for example, that you had been in a mental hospital for six months and had come out, uh, but yet I didn't think that was on your record, I'd ask somebody to check and see if that shouldn't be on your record. That kind of a red flag law, I think, could work. If it's just a neighbor saying, my neighbor scares me because he has guns, that's a different issue. So doesn't that infringe, though, on his Second Amendment right? If he's been in and out of a hospital, he's he's graduated, for lack of a better term? Well, the question is, do you want the information? Or not? Is there any difference in that than having the issue that the person is a three-time felon? Well, that's, and that's information because a felon well. has broken laws where somebody that's been in a mental hospital didn't actually break a law unless that's what got him in there. But um yeah, I mean, I always hear about we can't infringe on our Second Amendment rights, but it sounds like you're proposing that some people's rights could be infringed upon. Well, all I'm saying is the type of information to me is critical. I don't want my neighbors saying, hey, watch Richard because he's got guns. You want credible facts. Well, yeah. I mean, if you go in a mental hospital, the hospital should report people who've been in there who could be mentally unstable. I agree. But then that requires some sort of comprehensive background check system in the country nationwide. Well, there there already is. Uh, and, and it's very similar. I've got trusted traveler for traveling internationally, and I had to do a background check uh, with the FAA. I had to get fingerprinted, photographed, had to go through all kinds of things to see if I would even be deemed to be a trusted traveler. And it's the same thing with your firearm purchases that are legal. Now, if I buy one from you and you're my next door neighbor, that's different right now in Texas, for example. Right. Each state can pass different laws. But right. if you buy a firearm at a gun show, all gun show purchases have background checks run before you can leave with a weapon. Are you saying it's okay, though, for neighbors to sell to neighbors? Are you in favor of that little loophole in the whole process? No, I don't have a problem. I, I mean, I know you can inherit guns. Right. You're saying you shouldn't be able to say your neighbor's mentally unbalanced so that he shouldn't be able to buy a gun. The mental hospital should report it where the neighbor doesn't have to be the snitch. But most of the mental health issues in our country are not people who go to mental hospitals. I mean, these are either undiagnosed or untreated. 
But let's just say no one's been in the hospital and you see erratic behavior from your neighbor. You're saying it's okay for me to make the determination I can sell a gun to him, but I can't make the determination that no one else should be, like he should be checked out by the authorities. No, I wouldn't say that. I would, if I saw a neighbor erratic, I wouldn't sell him a gun. Shouldn't we take neighbors out of this whole me. thing? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, why should I be selling to my neighbor or reporting on him? Like, maybe we should have a little more comprehensive system than the buddy neighborhood, you know, <laughs> play. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not for reporting on neighbors. Isn't this the premise, though, of calling the police on everything? Like, I'm not determining that my neighbor just robbed somebody. I'm saying I'm reporting it. You go check it out. So isn't it okay then to say my neighbor seems unstable and he's talking about buying guns? Maybe you guys should go talk to him and give him an assessment or something. Let's do it this way. Let's say we're all at a party and one of our friends is pie-eyed drunk and starts to get in the car and drive off. Are you going to call the police and alert them that he's driving drunk on the road and might kill somebody? Yeah. I'm going to tell the cops, I think this guy's drunk. Go check him out. Just like I would say, I think my neighbor's a whack job and he wants to go buy a gun. Go check him out. Yeah. I mean, if you see it that erratic where you're worried about him having a gun, I have neighbors around me I know have weapons and I have no problem with it because I know that they're sane people. Until well, you, you don't, because that's every but, interview on the news. I never saw it coming from a neighbor. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, th- you think that they're sane. Do we have a gun problem or is this just the result of the Second Amendment? It's like, take the good, take the bad. What are you going to do? You know, let me give you an analogy uh, from happened here in Texas a couple of years ago, 2017 in Sutherland Springs, just north of San Antonio. Guy walked into church. They had no one on security that day. Guy started walking up and down the pews where everybody was hiding, killed 26 people. Oof. The way he was stopped was a person down the street heard the gunfire, got his gun, got in his truck, drove down the street, walked in the church and shot the guy. Right. 26 people dead. That was 2017. Mm-hmm. Two years later in White Settlement outside of Fort Worth, Texas, just after Christmas, guy stood up in a church service, shot an usher. They had armed security. First security guy couldn't get his weapon out of his waistband. He got shot. Second security guy put the guy down in seven seconds. Two people were killed. There hadn't have been a good person with a gun there to respond as quickly. There would have been many more people killed in the second incident like there was in the first incident. Everybody's fetishizing guns and they all want to be Marshall Dillon from Dodge City. And they all they all dream about about shooting somebody down and uh-huh. thinking that they can justify it. And the problem is, is that when they're faced with that sort of situation, most people will freeze. Well, in the two situations I gave you, it wasn't members of the church that shot the churches up. It was people that came in from the outside. I think there's always examples of somebody else with a gun that stops them. What about Uvalde, dude? I mean, we yeah. had a complete failure of the police. Yeah. Oh, heavily that armed. was an absolute failure. And they had over 370 officers on the ground who did not respond properly in that right. situation. And part of that, they said, was they were afraid of the AR-15. So is there is there logical limits on what kind of weapons are out there so that even the police aren't afraid of them? Well, I don't, I don't think that was as big an issue as there was a lack of understanding who was in command and the person who was in command did not go through proper procedures and issue the proper orders. And so you had a bunch of law enforcement people standing around waiting to be told what to do. Yeah, but you say you don't think it's as much of a problem. It's part of the problem that we have to look at at some point or another. There's a lot of law enforcement out there, cops, that are saying there's too many guns on the street. It's making our job harder. It's making it more dangerous. There's just too many guns. 
Well, I think there's there's a split there too. You're going to find people on both sides, and you're going sure. to find, and some of that's geographically. You'll get different answers in parts. You'll get a different. I live outside of Austin, Texas. In the city of Austin, Texas, you'll get one answer. Outside of Austin, Texas, you'll get another answer. Sure. And so uh, again, it's a very complicated situation uh, there. But normally, the police show up with their chalk in their hands. The crime has been committed, and all they're doing is drawing outlines around the bodies. Yeah, which is such a sad state. I don't know how we're going to come together on this, Richard. Battle, right? I mean, if the question, if the answer is more guns, when do we? What's the tipping point? What's the number of guns where we're finally safe? Well, that's a really good question because uh, you you can only shoot one at a time, but there's plenty of places you can keep them in case you're accosted at the wrong place. If we have, uh, if we add another uh, two million guns into America, do you think we have a safer country? Three million, four million? How many? If it's, if it's people who are sane and responsible, yeah, uh, I th- I think we could be safer in certain situations. If it's if it's not people who are sane. No. Yeah, uh, but you see that there's a problem there. If, if it's an un, uninfringible right, then everyone's going to have them. And then there's going to be, I mean, come on, at the average bar on Saturday night, do you know how many more shootings there would be if everyone was armed? Well, do you, uh, do you, and in Texas, even with our gun laws, it's illegal to carry in a bar. Uh, is that working in Texas? Are people following the law? If you look at most of the shootings, it's not people who are licensed to carry Normally, it's people who are not licensed to carry. Yeah. So the licensing program works. Yeah, I think we need a better licensing program and background checks and all that. Would you agree or disagree with that? Well, each state does their own laws for background checks. So right. I, I trust the, problem, the one in it? Texas. I think it's very thorough. I don't know about all the other states. Right. Isn't that part of the problem, though? Because I live in California, but Nevada is like 10 feet that way. So even though I have super strict gun laws on this side of the border, if I go over there, it's so much easier. So shouldn't we have sort of universally strict uh, well, there background is, there checks? There are federal laws as well, but then each state has state laws on top of that. So Yeah, but you would agree California's, some states make it easier, right, to get guns than others. Well, like, yeah, California is probably one of the most restrictive places right right Um, and i and i can tell you i i'm hesitant to go to california because i don't feel safe in california i don't feel any much safer there than mexico and i wouldn't go to mexico (laughs) anywhere right now oh california is a beautiful place why do you not feel it is a beautiful place i love california it hurts me not to go there and enjoy it why don't you Uh, feel safe in california what's what's up with that because i the increase in crime i think is uh puts people at risk especially tourists yeah, but given the news we've seen out of Texas of late, how are you How are you feeling good about your home state then? Well, there are certain places I feel better and some I don't, and, but I also feel better if I can uh, uh, be more fully dressed, if you understand what I mean. Sure, you want to protect yourself. Uh, I yeah, don't know I, what you mean. <laughs> what do you mean better? That means he's carrying a gun with him, dude. He yeah, carries exactly. a side oh, piece. I see. Yeah. I see. Uh, gentlemen, we need to start to wrap this up. But let me just throw one last sort of, I think, logical point to you, Richard, just to get your two cents on, because this is what we're trying to do here, have a conversation. Yeah. Um, and my dad's a surgeon. He worked in the uh, emergency room for years where he was the on-call surgeon when someone would get stabbed, car accident, shot, whatever it was. And he told me that if you get shot with a uh, standard hunting rifle, a standard handgun, that it makes a very clean entry wound, and that if you can get to the hospital in a timely fashion, that they have a pretty good chance of saving you. But if you get shot by an AR-15, that because of the velocity, it just eviscerates you. I mean, it just bores a hole. 
And his point was, as a doctor, like, I don't care how quick you get to the emergency room, odds are we're not going to be able to save you. So you'd rather get shot with a certain kind of gun than others. So shouldn't we be eliminating the guns that are more deadly, quote unquote? I mean, do you you see that medical perspective there? The counter I'd give to that is how few shootings actually happen with Armalite rifle types. And it's a very small number compared to handguns. Percentage-wise, perhaps, that is true. Yeah, it's a very, very small number. But tell that to anyone in these shootings. Like, wouldn't it be much better to have a survivable chance of these things than not? Well, yeah, and again, that comes back. There's two sides to every equation. So, uh, If you had the choice between being shot with a handgun or an AR-15, which would you pick as far as what you think you could survive better? Well, first thing is, if a bad guy shows up, I'd rather shoot him with an AR-15 than get shot by an AR-15. Okay, that's not answering the question. <laughs> so, so if I got a choice of what I'm what I'm holding on to, I'd rather hold on to it. Okay, what about the other side of the question? <laughs> well, obviously, I don't want to get shot at all. And but there's other ammunition on pistols, hollow points. There's all kinds of ammunition you can buy for different weapons. Yeah, those should be banned too. And the handguns are much more easily to conceal and take into places and then spring them on people. Okay. I don't think well, I've got an answer to my question yet, though. Please answer that question. I mean, well, obviously, I don't want to get shot pistol? by an AR-15. All right. That's what, that's what did I mean, you did. Nobody wants to get shot by an AR-15 or anything else. Yeah. And I, I don't think people should be shot. And I hope that people are prepared where they can minimize the risk of getting shot. Yeah, but this is America. Everyone's going to be in a public shooting at some point or or have someone close to them. I've experienced it. It's happened in you know communities around here. So I, I just stand by this point that I'd rather get shot by one type of gun versus another, just from the medical standpoint. If it's well, if we're going to do that, I'd rather get shot with a twenty-two pistol. Perfect. You do understand, though, that put, you can pull that trigger super fast, right? I mean, well, yeah, on. but you get a cramp after a while. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we're relying on finger cramps to uh, stop the, uh, the difference. Well, I guess that's something. All right. I know we've taken up a bunch of your time, so we appreciate you coming on here. And we're, you know, a whole, whole point of the show is to try to have these conversations and see if we can meet in the middle. I didn't see that in this conversation, but showing that actually helps the bigger discussion of how far apart we are. So we can also knowing that we can have that conversation, dude, we appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, while we may disagree on some pieces, I I think having the conversation is important and we need to do that. I'd love to be able to sit down with people and try to work out specific solutions. Obviously we're talking around issues, but without the authority to take care of them. Sure. Uh, Richard, if people want to find out more about you, website, social medias, how can they find you? Website is richardbattle.com. Uh, we have nine books there. Go to Amazon. We have several on Kindle and audio versions as well. And uh, the latest one's Made in America by Americans, not Americans. And I just encourage people to have that can-do spirit. Well, we see the can-do spirit in you, Richard Battle, a multi-award-winning author, speaker, media personality, and advisor. We thank you for joining the Vocal Minority today, and we wish you well. My thank pleasure. You, Richard. Great, great being with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. Another good example, I feel, of just like nobody's willing to compromise on anything, no matter how logical of a point we bring up. Like, he wouldn't answer my question, you know? Nope. You know what? It's it's interesting because that conversation, when I tell you that, you know, most of my conversations with hardcore conservatives, they're pointless. They don't go well. I can have conversation with, with my brother uh, 
And I would say that he is a hardcore conservative Republican, but most of them end just like that. Like we can have respectful conversation, but he didn't really learn anything. You know, I tried to take some things away, but if they're not based in fact, uh, I can't take it away really, you know? Yeah. Nick, would you say that perhaps the reason why the conversations go so well with your brother is because he's your brother and because he has that that love for you. He may not have the same kind of constructive conversation with, like, say, someone like me. But but with you, your family, it's a little bit different when, when you're dealing with with family and that sort of thing. Yes, I see your point 100 percent and don't completely disagree with it. Although I will say that uh, he's one of those people that I've watched talk to people that he doesn't know. And while things may get a bit more heated because he and I know when to turn them off because we yeah. still got to love each other when this is of, done. Of course. Yeah. It's your family, uh, but he's usually generally pretty respectful and can have a conversation kind of like he, uh, Richard battle just had, but I mean, well, at least Richard made some concessions. I felt as far as both sides are wrong. Like normally people don't, my side's totally right. And your side's yep. wrong. And he did admit that Abbott's, you know, busting immigrants around is at least in part a publicity stunt. So human trafficking, using humans as a yeah. publicity stunt. And, 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 and I love his point. He was trying to say like Biden does it, but yeah, they have a plan on both ends. <laughs> Abbott's just shipping them to some liberal city to give them the middle finger. That's sort of a joke. Well, I will say that I also held myself back from using a joke that i like to use about greg abbott greg abbott will not stand for any illegal immigration he just will not stand for it he's maturing steve oh now you are a champion (laughs) all right well you know as always nothing got solved but i like to have the conversation so i'm glad we had him on but (laughs) god i was just trying to get any concession out of him and just uh, wouldn't happen all right, gentlemen. Thank you, Richard Battle, for joining the program today. Uh, that's going to do it. Another fine episode of The Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve Olabruski. See our webpage, thevocalminority.net. Hit us up on our socials. And until next time, we bid you adieu. Nick, I think you did an amazing job. Oh, that was nice. Steve Harness. You did a good job, too, dude. Tremendous play by Brewski. He just said it was tremendous, Brewski. We are vocal minority. Testing. Test one, two. Test one, two. Stop.